Well, about probably two months ago, Pastor Mark asked if we would give an update on Young Life. We had shared, I think, at the very beginning of the summer. And uh, so he wanted to hear an update for the church. And here we are, (laughs) two months later, finally uh, pulling it all together, timing-wise. But um, thank you for giving us an opportunity to share. Um, I kind of want to pick up where we left off last time. Last time, we were in the middle of fundraising to get a bunch of kids to camp. Um, We had just finished another year of outreach and ministry with middle school and high school called um, Wildlife and Young Life. And so we were jumping in camp season is in the summer, and we took our biggest crew ever this summer. We had 40 people go to camp. I'm going to hand it over to Dennis to give you an update from uh, I, th- I think I shared, I was pursuing um, a high school friend, uh, trying to get him to go to camp. And um, <clears throat> between school and camp, it's a tough time because I can't just go to school and, and I know who's there. I have to go chase him around town. And I pick him up and grab him and go uh, rake leaves at some of your houses. Thank you for helping us fundraise and wash cars. Um, and then a week before camp, um, he, he kind of went missing. I went, I went to his trailer every day and I couldn't find him kind of got me worried. Then uh, three days before camp, he uh, he showed up and um, got a hold of me and admitted that he had gotten into trouble and was kind of detained for a couple nights. But he still wanted to go to camp, so okay, good. Um, but then two days before camp, his dad called on my cell phone. Uh, oh, this is bad news. And uh, he uh, his dad proceeded to explain all the reasons why we shouldn't want Andrew to go to camp, why we shouldn't want him to, to, to go. And uh, um, Tara was there, and she immediately started praying, and, and <laughs> that helped because I, I felt emboldened to then kind of fight for Andrew and, and tell his dad that you know, I, I care about your son a lot, and I really think it would be a great experience for him at camp. Um, luckily, he consented, um, but said he wouldn't he wouldn't pay t- towards anything towards camp. I said that's fine. We're, we've been doing a lot of fundraising, so the good news is we got Andrew to camp, which is awesome, and um, it was a great week. Um, kids from Mammoth, they get out of Mammoth, they get away from their family situation, and they just start blossoming. Um, And they get to camp and meet other kids and other leaders and share struggles. And and the camp leadership is amazing. They prayerfully plan all the events and songs and games to help break down the walls that these teenagers build up and uh, help them just become more receptive to the gospel. And so they get to hear about Christ's love all week long. And Andrew in particular, he responded greatly to hearing about this love and about uh, how accepting Jesus is and how his identity is more as a child of God than kind of a mess up back home. So he thrived. He felt comfortable in his skin. And uh, by the end of the week, he, along with over half of our kids, stood up and accepted Jesus into his life. So that was awesome. And we get back home, and, you know, home is tough, and the struggles continue. It's not an overnight change. Um, And Andrew's a big project, and I just, my prayer is to continue to walk alongside him and help him grow in his faith. Um, And I, I have hope. And now that you all know his name, you can all be praying for him by name, please. Um, yeah, we were so excited with 
the response from the kids that we took to camp. It was, it was really an amazing week. And I have to say, every summer it's an amazing week. Um, the particular camp that we went to is Woodleaf, and that camp in particular had about 3,600 high school students go through it this summer. So it's, it's a big thing that's happening in Young Life um, nationally. And over half of those kids um, made a statement for wanting to follow Jesus at camp. So there's something about removing kids from everything that's distracting them at home. And it's not that they don't hear about Jesus all year, because they do at club, but it just, you get to get away and experience him for a week, and it's very powerful. Um, so like Dennis said, home lives and school lives don't change necessarily. Kids come right back into what they're dealing with. Whether they are following Jesus or not, they jump right back in. The things that change is hearts. Jesus captures kids' hearts. He's captured our hearts. And he transforms us and he changes us from the inside. And so that is our prayer for Andrew and for all of the kids that we came back with. We also took a group of kids to a wildlife camp. Wildlife is middle school ministry. And it's the same thing as Young Life. It is Camp is a, about five days. I think high school is six or seven. And um, we do the same thing with them. We had a, a big group go this year, and um, I have a ton of great stories from wildlife camp, and I'd love to share some of those with you, but um, come see me about those. Uh, instead, what I want to do is jump ahead to October. We're in the, you know, well into the school year, and um, I have just spent a little bit of time training two new leaders, actually two leaders from our church, uh, Terry Wilson and Joel Turner to be middle school wildlife leaders. And so we've just gone over how to go into the world of kids and how to help the school out, and we were about to do that. It was our first day going on the middle school campus with these two new leaders. And um, I have to tell you, it's not always easy to go on campus and hang out with adolescents or teenagers. It's not always comfortable. It becomes more comfortable, and you grow into it. So Joel and Terry were doing their very first day, and we walked in, and we greeted the office staff and said, hey, where do you guys need us? We got our badges signed in, did all that, and they said, we need you outside. It's a beautiful day, and we need people outside because everyone's out there. So I kind of said, okay, you guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out there and just jump in and um, get out there. And before I even could think twice about it, Joel is off playing Foursquare with some boys. And, and a couple minutes later, there are 15 or 20 boys there playing Foursquare with him. And he is just having a great time. This is fun being an adult when you get to go to the middle school. And then Terry goes and sits down with about 15 girls, these big groups. And she's just hanging out, talking to them and getting to know them. And, um, so I just went and, you know, talked to kids and hung out. And, and that worry, that concern of mine that I was going to have to have that encouraging talk with them afterwards, it's not always this hard, it's going to get better. When the bell rang, they came back and they had huge smiles. And it was like, yes, I love this. This is the best way to spend lunch, 
doesn't get any better. Some of you might have heard me share some of this before. Um, and then here's the best part. I got home, and that night I got a, a text from a friend saying, my son mentioned that he saw you and Joel on campus, and it was his best lunch ever. And then I think it was two or three days later, a friend of mine who works at the middle school said, um, hey, was that guy that came on campus with wildlife? Um, the boy I work with, she's been, she works with special needs kids. The boy I work with played at recess for the first time with Joel. First time ever. He hasn't played in a, over a year. And, um, and she said, and there's something about the comfort of having an adult there. And I, just, I was just thankful. You know, we go on campus, and it isn't Dennis and Tara and Joel and all the leaders who are so cool that kids want to hang out with us. I promise. You guys, Jesus goes with us. We go on campus and we pray. <laughs> okay, show us the next kid. And Jesus goes with us, and he compels us to go out and to get to know kids, and to love them where they are, and care for them where they are, and to play foursquare as a 41-year-old woman, and, and do these things that we might not do without him. And I'm, I'm so thankful um, that we have the opportunity to do that. This boy that um, came and played for the first time, he comes to club every time at Wildlife now, and he jumps in. And I'm, I'm just thankful that now he's also hearing about Jesus. See, we don't talk about Jesus at lunchtime. We're not allowed to. We just hang out and get to know kids. Um, God has a plan for every one of these lives, every one of the lives that comes through this, this gym, every one of the lives that's at the high school, at the academy, at Sierra. And... Um, and we are supposed to fight for them. We are supposed to fight for them through prayer, through showing up in their lives consistently, uh, through telling them, showing them first, and then telling them about Jesus and about his redemptive love. And we do it over and over and over. And he meets us in it. And he leads us in it. Uh, one very cool thing, I might have said this over the summer, we are now in our fifth year of Young Life in Mammoth, and I am so excited that it's still happening. <laughs> so thank you. Um, right now we're in the thick of it as far as the school year. We are smack in the middle of the school year. And just really quickly so you know what's happening, uh, we're meeting weekly with high school students um, at something we call club. Club is a lot like camp but condensed into about 50 minutes. So there's games and songs, and we just hang out, get to know kids. And at the end of every time together, we have the opportunity, and we take the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. And we start with incarnation and his birth and go all the way through his death, resurrection, and the hope we have in him. Um, and then we do the same thing with the middle school students, and it happens about every three weeks. Uh, so we do club, and we have that right here in the gym. We're also doing campaigners, and campaigners is what Young Life calls a Bible study. It's a chance for kids to go deeper with Jesus, to get to know him. We learn how to pray 
and pray together and pray for others. We learn how to follow him. Um, all of those things that are part of the, our faith. We help kids learn and grow. And we are our goal is to build disciples and have them eventually reaching out into others' lives. And that's happening also. We have student leaders. Um, sorry, I was going to point you out. Jessica, who has come up to now being a wildlife leader. And not only that, but leading her high school friends and pointing them toward Jesus, even when that's not their natural or their first choice. So, um, okay, I'm going to wrap it up right there. Um, Leaders are going where kids are, and they're going to the outsiders. And... uh, And it's only because of Jesus' love that we are able to do this and that we do this. Um, Now, I'm not going to leave it without telling you a couple of ways that you can get involved because we need some help. (laughs) Um, And so I'm just going to read these. It is not a two-person show. (laughs) It's not a a show at all. But um, it is a team effort. And so many of you looking out, have helped support us financially, have prayed, have said yes to being leaders, have, um, look at so many kids who've been at club, I see in the room, um, who've supported us on our committees and helped plan events and all these things that are available. One thing that is available coming up is we're going to have our annual golf tournament. And our annual golf tournament usually happens in April. And it is um, an opportunity to help Round up golfers, round up hole sponsors. These are all areas of need. And also help plan the event. Uh, another way to, to help is to support us financially. Uh, Young Life Eastern Sierra has a monthly budget of about $7,000. And we are currently at about $3,500 a month that's coming in on a monthly basis. So there's always a need there. That's just how it goes with nonprofits, I guess. And uh, it isn't too late to get a donation in for 2014. Um, Also, kids need consistent adults in their lives. Um, So if you are interested in jumping in and participating with middle school kids or high school, middle school requires about one to three hours a week. And high school, uh, let's say it starts at about three and goes up to however much time you want to hang out. So, um, And then... Another opportunity is to check out Young Life for yourself. I would love to have you come see club, club at the middle school or club at our house. So let me know if you're interested, Um, maybe one or two a week rather than 12 or 20. Uh, And then finally, pray. I know that our church prays for Young Life. I hear it all the time. I'm so thankful. Dennis and I are so thankful for the support that we feel and we know comes from this congregation. So keep praying. And uh, as you hear names, pray for them specifically, like Andrew. Thanks, you guys. Yeah. Well, we want to we wanna pray with you guys right now. Lord, um, thank you for Tara and Dennis and their ministry to, to young people in our community, Lord, and, and beyond, Lord. And uh, God, the, the way they're mentoring those that are getting it and the way they're just modeling it to those that haven't got it yet. Um, but, Lord, thank you that uh, this ministry, this couple goes outside of the walls of this gym and uh, 
is salt and light for you out there in the community, Lord. And we know our young people need our prayers and and they need this kind of mentoring in their life, Lord. And so put a hedge of protection around Tara and Dennis, Lord. Bless them, strengthen them, guide them in in your will, uh, especially, Lord, as it relates to ministering in your name to the young people in our area. We bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. We just ask for your grace in this this moment of time to to hear from your word, Lord. Lead us, anoint the message and the listening in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have a bulletin with you, I have a a, 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 a fill in the blank a sermon note outlined there that went along with your uh, uh, reading for the Advent this morning. Um, I'm probably going to have to to pick up the pace a lot on this. Kind of some heavy topics here at hand. But as we've been reading through the the Old Testament and just looking at at what uh, God has for us and what He has shown us in in different stories, we've kind of looked at it from how it applies to our life. But I want to encourage you when you read Scripture to also think about what it says about God. That you would be growing in the knowledge of God and how that impacts your life. Oftentimes people would just say, man, cut to the chase, Mark. I want to hear the application point. I want to know how I'm supposed to apply this in my life. And. And there's oftentimes where in Scripture we've seen the examples in, in Abram's mistakes and 
and different people doing different things. And it's like, oh, we can learn right from looking at their life and go, I need to do something different. I need to follow God in a different manner or I need to open my heart in a different way to the way he's leading. But one of the things that we for sure want to do is if if a text is telling us something about God, we want to imply that. And so I wrote here, ask yourself and the text this question, right? What can be known about God in the text or passage of Scripture? What can be known about the Lord? Because if I know God, then that knowledge of Him will affect how I live my life. You know, when I talk to people time and time again, what I find a lot of times is the struggles in our Christian walk have to do with us not knowing who God is. Not knowing of His faithfulness. Not knowing of His character. Uh, because as you know His character, you're obviously able to trust Him more fully. For example, uh, John 3.16. We've all heard John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that who whosoever believe in him should not perish but have eternal life and so we tend to uh, think of eternity and think of ourselves in that text that i need to believe Uh, we also are startled by the awareness that there's a perishing option you know and uh, we don't want that option right and so we think of it in those terms that don't want to perish i want eternal life and so i'll believe and we tend to think of it on that level But there's a whole nother level to it of things about God. Right? God loves. We we realize God is loving. But so much so that he is willing to demonstrate that love in sending his son into the world to be the redeemer. I mean, God puts his best forward. It's not uh, on our terms when we say we love someone. Jesus shows us the extent of God's love by demonstrating it fully. So we know about God that not just that He loves us, but that His love is is incredible and full and and redemptive. So there's another thing that we we see. He sins. He takes action to do. I used that at a wedding one time. I said, you know what, why don't we model that, right? Why don't we model that in our lives that, that God loves and then acts? See, there's an example of it right there. Do you know God, I said to the couple? Because God so loved that then he took action in giving. And so there it is right there. The more you understand that about God, the more you're able to put it into action. Another story would be uh, Christmas, right? I love how, and I talk about this a lot this time of year, how the angels look in and they say, glory to God in the highest and, and peace with men on whom his favor rests. All heaven gets incredibly stoked about the birth of Christ to, to where they just bust into singing and it spills out in the earthly realm what's happening in heaven. It's like pulling back the curtain And angels are just partying like crazy, like this is the most incredible thing. And they're giving glory to God. And we go, wow, that's awesome. What a neat story. And we pick up with on whom his favor rests and we see it in that light. But when we 
look at the next level of that, what does it say about God? What does it say about God? It says this. Listen, angels in the scope of eternity, being in the presence of God continually, are now excited about what he's doing in a moment in time. Isn't that incredible? So we would step back and say, God, you're awesome and your works are so incredible that even the angelic realm that's with you all the time and beholds your presence is excited about what you're doing. And so what do we say about that? We say, wow, there's some there's some stuff in God. There's some things in God that are yet still for us to experience. God's eternal, and, and we get to enjoy Him forever. And so if there's anything like that, we get to see what He's doing and go, wow, in a, in a huge way. Imagine that throughout eternity. And so when you peel back those layers sometimes of a text, you go, well, this thing is so much bigger than I thought, so much more incredible. And so what are the things that we've seen so far, glimpses of God? In these stories from Genesis 1 as the creator on through. Well, I've just, there's more than I can talk about this morning, but I wanted to pick a couple things here. Number one is God does feel, God has emotional characteristics. This is a scary topic because there's a lot of heresies that have been introduced throughout human history about God's being able to suffer and and all these things that we try and project on God. We was anthropomorphic is when we give God human traits. Sometimes God reveals himself in those ways so that we could understand him, right? Like when he says, My arm is not too short to save. Don't picture God having this incredibly long arm like the Incredibles or something. Okay? But but he's trying to give you a, a vision of of that his he's able to reach out and say, "Is my arm too short?" He gives you that picture. Well, when, in God's feelings, we want to say this: God does feel, yet God is. In the, in the theological word is impassable, and that means that his his emotion cannot be influenced from an outside source to do something against his nature. And you go, why why would that matter, Mark? Well, it's super important. It's super important because at at best, sometimes we understand uh, like pure emotion, unadulterated emotion, untainted emotion by sin. We every now and then get a glimpse of it, but everything that we experience is also tainted by by sin and brokenness, right, in our emotions. And yet God is perfect in his being in that nothing outside of him can cause him to act in any way that he doesn't want to act. And so you're you're not going to go, God, why are you sad today? Can I cheer you up, God? Can can I help you out, Lord? Or that we would hope that God would be joyful but isn't. Or or that God would continue 
this one theologian wrote it this way. He says, God can regret, but he cannot continue to be in regret. Okay? And you go, what does that mean? Well, we saw in the story of Noah that God regretted that he had created mankind. But because God is perfect in his being, he's not just going to be like this. Oh, man, I really blew it. That would be what we would do, right? Man, I just really dug myself in a hole. Where God in, 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 his, in his perfection is able to feel things and think things and do things perfectly. But the point for us would be to, to look at him in awe in that and go, God's loving, uh, God has joy, God has a sense of grief and sorrow at times, but, but those, are, those are ways that are in total purity of his nature, and we would worship him in that. But, but bottom line, is that, as I realize, don't go too deep into this, Mark. Hit him with what really matters in this. Why is this important? The important thing is, is because you can live a life that either pleases Him or grieves Him. We can live a life that pleases Him or we can live in ways that grieve Him. That's what we saw in the story. That's what we saw about God in the story of, of humanity and our rebellion and in the flood of Noah. And so I, I want you to consider that this morning. I want you to consider that you could live a life that's pleasing to him. Paul put it this way, he says, for once you were in darkness, but now you are in light in the Lord. Live as children of light, then. The fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness and truth and find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. And he, he goes on to say, this is why it's said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but wise, making the most of every opportunity. I love that. Find out what pleases the Lord. And if you want strength in your Christian life, ask yourself, is this pleasing to God? My attitude, my actions. Oh, I wish that people would stop for a minute and go, is this pleasing to the Lord? The way I'm reacting in this situation. And I, I could tell a ton of different stories in my own life. I have not always been, you know, believe me, I do not please the Lord with my life at all times. I'm just like you. I know that there's, and, and I'm sorry to assume that about you, that you probably don't please the Lord always times perfectly either. You're like, hey, why are you throwing us in with you, buddy? Um, <laughs> honestly, though, there's, there's interesting times where you have to go, wait a second, I'm getting all worried about something, and perhaps that fear and concern is spilling over to the point that God would not be pleased with the way I'm considering or actually not considering him in this equation. It could be an activity of sin. I tell you, you want to have, you want to have strength over sin. Remember, it's all about grace. 
and then think about what pleases the Lord, not how to manage your life by not doing certain things. Like if you try and get over here on this side and you're trying really hard to be this amazing person, you're going to fail. But if you get over here and you're like, man, Lord, you love me and you give me this environment of grace, I just want to do what pleases you, you'll find that that gives you way more power. So moving on, um, uh, we come to this this story where Hagar uh, was out there, and if, if you remember, she's she's been kicked out from uh, around uh, Sarah, and because now she's pregnant. And we we read that story last week. And I'm sorry if you're you're here this morning. You're like, whoa, wait a second. The story of Hagar, right? Abram, uh, he takes her on to be his wife. Okay, because they they're not uh, fulfilling the promise through Abraham and Sarah. The promise hasn't come, and so Sarah suggests that he would take Hagar to be possibly to have children through. And so she becomes pregnant and is despised and is sent out. Well, Hagar is just sitting in the middle of nowhere, and God appears to her. The angel of the Lord comes and and God encourages her to go back, and, and this is what she says. She said that she gave the name uh, to the she gave this name to the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are God who sees me. For he said, I have now for she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And I, and I know there's a bit of a patchwork thing here. This is like a smorgasbord dinner sermon today. We just left one topic and now we're going to another one. And that topic is God sees, God knows, God is fully interacting with us in a way that just should blow our mind. He is intimately aware of everything in our life. And that comes out from reading the text. It comes out from reading the text. God has emotion and that we can please him or grieve him. And now in the storyline, we see that God sees and cares and knows all things. Uh, Psalm Psalm 139 is 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 my absolute favorite that speaks of this, and it's the Lord speaking about how He sees and knows everything in our lives. Uh, such a beautiful psalm. Let me read it or portions of it. O oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Now, of course, that ties in completely to wanting to please him or grieve him, right? That it's not just an accidental looking in. It's not like the boss at work just happened to show up and you're just glad that you're working. I know when I worked for the water district, I just, I would beat guys into the trench, not physically beat them into the trench, but I would jump in first is what I mean. I just wanted to be the guy moving the shovel, cutting the pipe, doing the thing, because randomly throughout the day, the supervisor would drive up. And I always wanted to be found working the hardest when the supervisor pulled up. And, and you, you know that feeling, right? Well, this, is, this revelation is that it's not God just pulling up. He's, he's aware. It says, before a word was even on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before you've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. 
that God would know us that intimately. And that's what's revealed in the text. And so write that down. God knows everything about, and I put us in there. Maybe you should cross that out and put the word me. God knows everything about me and is fully aware of all my ways. Now, in reference to pleasing him or grieving him, that's either good news or bad news. It should be great news to you, though. It should be great news because it can quiet your inner being. I want to say right there in the notes, this is what quiets our inner being is knowing that God's fully aware of all the issues and things in our lives. Psalm 62 says this, Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will not be shaken. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him. God is our refuge. That's how the psalmist would speak of this incredible knowledge of the Lord in his life. The next little patchwork thing I wanted to put together this morning is that God has grand purpose. If you've noticed in the story, we've started with creation and we're up to, to almost to Isaac being born. We're reading through the Old Testament. If, you, if you're new here, catch up to us by just reading 16 chapters today in the book of Genesis and you'll be caught up. I know that doesn't sound, it sounds like a lot to some people, but it is not that much. Um, it's to take you about the same amount of time that it would to watch a movie, probably. Uh, but we're, we're in this story, and the one thing that we see is purpose, you guys. God has grand purpose. And since we're peeling back the layers to now talk about God, right? God, God has the ability to be pleased or grieved. God, God sees everything. And now another thing that we can add in our knowledge of God is that he is perfect in purposefulness. <laughs> and, and I know, like, I did have time to dig out, like, my good theology books to just really hunt down that word. Because I was like, there is a better theological word than purposefulness. But the part I want you to get is, is that God... God is always doing something according to his purpose. He's not just doing something. You ever get to the end of the day and you're like, what did I do today? What did I accomplish today? Maybe only pastors have those thoughts. But there's times where you just go, what happened to today? Anybody ever do that? You're just like, man, the thing is gone already or or the weekend. I'm usually saying that about the sermon time. What happened to it? But listen, God's working according to his eternal purpose. Uh, Paul put it this way in Ephesians. He said, God's been doing things according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus. In other words, everything, everything, even the Old Testament stories were part of God's eternal purpose, pointing to Christ's coming and to our future glory 
with the Lord. And so remember, the God you serve is a God of purpose. And please, quit saying, that happened for a reason. If you hear me say that, you can smack me. (laughs) We don't want to say, everything happens for a reason. No, we want to say, God has a purpose. God's a redeemer. God is working. And so, yes, everything does happen for a reason. That's secondary to it. But please, submit that to the knowledge of God. Don't just say that as though randomness is working out to be a blessing. And, you know, hey, stuff happens for a reason. Ah, You know what? Everything happens. No. If you're a child of God, everything happens because God has a purpose. Some things he allows so that he will show his redemptive purpose in it. He, he, he causes things. He allows things. There's this, there's this amazing combination that we just won't, just won't want to look at everything and go, oh, well, God caused it because, because that it wouldn't happen otherwise. No, maybe God just flat out allowed it because you were so stubborn. And we're going to go on your own way. And God is using that to pull the rug out from under you. And the part that he's involved in is the redemptive part. And so as we've been looking at these stories, remember, God is a God of purpose. And, and I, I, I just find that so important um, because it, it's, it's a great encouragement. I was talking with the guys on Friday morning and we came across that verse in Ephesians where it says, it just throws it in. He's, he's talking about something else. He's talking about the mystery of God and Christ and how it's been hidden through the ages and whatnot. But then he just unfolds, oh, and by the way, it's part of God's eternal purpose. And I was like, whoa, guys, wait a second. Let's, wait, let's just rest on that for a minute, remembering that God from all eternity has been wanting and working and doing things. And you're part of that Versus some random mess that maybe there's blessing in every now and then. I hope that you find encouragement in that. Last point that I want to get here is the other thing that we've seen about God so far catching up in our stories. And and again, if, if you haven't even heard any of the stories, the information about who God is, these four points that you're getting today, should help and encourage you. This next and last one is that God is perfectly just in his judgments. Some of the tough part of reading through the Old Testament is, is, man, you see God just dropping the hammer sometimes. And in these first 16 chapters, we've seen God wipe out the world with a flood and then rain fire and brimstone down on a large population of people that were totally off the hook, not doing what pleased him in any way. And, and so get that, get that about God, that he's perfectly just in his judgments. And knowing that about God, really, if you get that, then you get Jesus coming. You get God needing to require a sacrifice for sin. And guys, this is so important because... 
If you see God as being someone that needs to be appeased, you're missing it. God doesn't need to be appeased like we offer sacrifice to him to try and get his favor. No, his justice demands that something would happen because there's wrongdoing. There's unholiness. There's imperfection. If he's perfect in his being, he cannot allow that and then continue on to be perfect and holy. And so there is the human dilemma. How do we approach a holy God? And we've seen it so far in the stories like, wow, God, you brought judgment. But your judgments were just. We peel back the curtain and we see that there was corruption and there was violence. And there was absolute disregard for who you are and that you are the the creator and sustainer of all things. Everyone had turned their back on you. And so, if that is the case about you, God, then therefore mercy and love can only be known in Jesus Christ. True mercy and and love can only be known in, in what Jesus has to offer. And, and I know I've preached this before, but but please, please understand it. That in the cross, it's the most beautiful thing, right? It's the most horrific thing in human history. It's the Son of God dying for us. Talk about a human mistake. If you look at it just humanly, it's the biggest mistake we've ever made. And yet it's the greatest act of redemption. Once and for all. Now, Old Testament wise, um, and and I'll, I'll try and close with this first point. There is a point in, in reading the Old Testament where you just see that sacrifices are going up by the thousands every day. Can you imagine being one of those priests in there? You, you don't like steak anymore, believe me. You just, you're just like, man, someone get me a carrot. Because today I was in the temple and I was hacking up animals and I was cooking things. And there's this constant deal going on to the point that it it actually became burdensome. It became burdensome for God's people to constantly be coming all the time, presenting a sacrifice because we're blowing it and i got to make a sacrifice. And all of that was to point us to Jesus, that He would be the once and for all time sacrifice for our sins. That's why we get so excited about Christmas. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Because He came into the world to take upon the sin of the world once and for all. You see, the animal offered, it can only cleanse you from the outside. It can only make you ceremonially clean, the Bible says. But Jesus, see, Jesus, He comes. And and He's he's not a priest offering up a sacrifice to of some animal, he offers up himself. So that when you go and you say, God, I need to stand before you, you're just and holy, I can only do that on the means of what he, Jesus, has done for me. And you can put your total trust in him and be forgiven and know eternal life through what he's done because it was 
that incredible. It was that once and for all times. And we see those pictures painted for us in the pages of Scripture. God seeing. God, God able to be pleased rather than grieved. God, God being purposeful. It all is unfolding along the way. And so the, I, I suppose those are little tidbits. But the main encouragement would just be to say, as you read the Bible, read also what it's saying about the God whom you serve and whom you trust in. It's saying incredible things about him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for for what your word says about you. And and, uh, Lord, that we can trust you in our lives. And um, Lord, that there's just this there's this grand purpose that you're working. And as we just come this week and consider Jesus coming into the world, that we just would be flat out awed anew that um, it's, it's all of you, your way of unfolding your plan so that in the end, your good pleasure prevails. That your justice is satisfied and therefore your love and mercy can burst in on the scene of our lives. May we see it, Lord, as we open our gifts, as we spend time with our families, as we consider the greatest gift given of all was your life given for us, Lord. You see us, you know us, you want to be pleased with us, and you have great purpose for us, Lord. Help us to live in the light of that, we ask in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand, you guys. We'll sing together.